0: Okay, so we're in the book of Matthew. We've been going through the book of Matthew for a while, and uh, this is not a July 4th sermon. Uh, It's, I mean, it's very American because we need to, you know, gossip and slander is very popular in America, Um, but this is just the next sermon in the series, okay? And really, this is in two parts. This whole section in Matthew 18, starting with what I'm going to go over this morning, and then there's a a section on forgiveness that comes right after. That's all the same moment, okay, in time, and they're very much connected, all right? And so I'll do the forgiveness stuff next week, okay? It's just I don't have enough time, all right? They really belong together, and I hate splitting them up, but I'm going to be a kind and merciful pastor and not put you through that all, because that would be like an hour, and only me and Eduardo would be awake at that point, (laughs) all right? So, um So we're going to look at Matthew 18, 15 to 35 this morning. And right up front, I want to give you a quick note um, about just the text itself. Because there's a couple of ways you could go here with how you interpret it and apply it. Okay? One is the way I'm going to go, which is when, uh, well, the, the issue is, does do the words against you belong in Matthew 18 or not? Okay? The earliest manuscripts don't have it. But then very soon after, it does have it. And we don't know if they omitted it accidentally and then they fixed it, or if it was not supposed to be there and she just never said it, and someone added it, all Right? We don't really know. I lean towards it, that it belongs, okay, because of Peter's follow-up question, which we'll get to next week. Peter's follow-up question only makes sense if against you is in there, in my opinion, all right? But... I'm not necessarily in the majority, okay? So you can kind of go two ways. One way is the way I'm going to go this morning where it's about interpersonal, someone sinned against you, and how do you deal with that? How do you reconcile with that person? Or it could be about church discipline. When anyone in your congregation is walking in sin and refusing to repent, how do you address that? Both work, okay? Neither one's wrong, I don't think. Um, I'm not going to go down the church discipline route. One, because I'm planning to do this in 1 Corinthians, where it's, we get an actual example of this happening. But also, if you've ever been to our Living Hope 101 class, we go over church discipline extensively. All right? So that's kind of why I'm approaching it this way, just in case you care. You're like, wait a minute, I don't like your interpretation. Well, this is why. All right? Okay, so Matthew 18, 15-17. Let's read that. It says, if your brother or you could, you could translate that literally fellow believer, sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, key word, alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So, Jesus is giving us a procedure, right, with ever-increasing circles of inclusion, I call it. The first circle is very small, and we work our way out, okay? Now, one quick note, because I read a bunch of stuff on the internet about this, in fact, I... I got a terrible article in Christianity Today that actually came in my mailbox about this, and it was awful, okay? And so so I just want to make a distinction here. I don't believe that what Jesus has in view here is situations of abuse or assault. He's talking about just interpersonal conflict in relationships, okay? Going privately to someone with power over you that assaulted you is unwise, Okay? And my scriptural backup for that is in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, if you don't receive a charge against the elders unless it comes with two or three witnesses. In other words, you can bypass stage one when it's someone in authority over you. When, you, when it's somebody in authority over you, you bring two or three with you, which is the second phase that Jesus talks about here. I think that gives you scriptural backup for that idea. All right, we have this, the whole Me Too movement, has clouded this issue in a lot of ways, okay? So if it's somebody that's like, you know, your, your boss or, God forbid, your pastor or an elder or whatever, this doesn't bind you to like, well, this person assaulted me, but you're telling me I have to go privately to them and confront them before I can talk to anybody about it? No, that is not the point here, okay? So I want to kind of take that scenario and set it aside, okay? If I could do that. All right, and I put the scripture from Timothy there in your notes. By the way, if you want notes, they're in the linked in the description of the video that you're watching or on the back table if you're not watching a video and you're here. All right, all right. so point number one, with all that said, notice the slowly expanding circles of inclusion here. You begin with a private meeting of the offender and the offended only. Only. We're pretty much going to camp out on that word only the entire morning. Okay, just so you know. Only those people, all right? At this point, no one but the two individuals involved even know an offense exists at all. How common is that? Sadly, it's very uncommon for an offense between two people to occur even inside the church amongst Christians and for the only people to know about it are those two people. That's a problem. And it's awful. We should feel convicted, all right? All of us have made this mistake, by the way. I'm not picking on anybody. All of us in this room have made this mistake. But at this point, and I think this is the, one of Jesus' main points here, is that you keep the circle small at the beginning. It's small. It's just between the two people that are actually involved, okay? The circle of inclusion is only expanded when the first circle has proven to be a dead end and resolution cannot be reached, Okay? In this meeting, and I'm going to talk more about the reconciliation piece next week around the idea of forgiveness and all of that, so I'm going to try to stay away from it, but some of these things beg the question, right? The goal is to convict him or her of his sin. In verse 15, it says, tell him his fault, which, ju- which doesn't mean I'm, I'm passing some kind of judgment trying to make you feel bad and get justice, okay? That's where forgiveness comes in. So you're not going like, I'm mad at you, so I'm going to come and I'm going to berate you so that you feel bad, so that I'm then satisfied that you feel as bad as I did when you did that thing. That's not what he's saying. That's not what tell him his fault means. What tell him his fault means being, I'm trying to convict you of your sin. You've sinned against me, and I'm trying to show you that you sinned against me because I'm actually concerned about your righteousness and your sanctification as much as I am about mine. So there's some work you got to do first. Right? got to do some real work. I mean, if, I mean, I won't ask for a show of hands, but everybody in this room, I'm sure, at some point has been done wrong by someone else. And the act of just getting to the point where you can say that honestly, that I'm coming at to you, loving you, and caring about you, and caring about justice and truth and your righteousness, that's a hard thing to do. Only Jesus can get you there. That's where forgiveness comes in, and we'll deal with that. Next week. So, this should be done with great humility and patience and a willingness to bear one another's burdens. That's Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Humility is hard because when someone hurts you, the first thing it hurts is your pride. Your pride bows up, I don't deserve this. And you feel angry at the injustice, and getting through that is hard. You must remove the log from your eye first. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. It's a hilarious picture of this giant tree sticking out of your eye while you try to pick a speck out of your friends. So before you go to that person, again, you're getting the log out of your own eye and then addressing it. This may mean doing this multiple times over a long period. That's hinted at by the following parable. This should be done with reconciliation as the goal, not justice alone. It's hard. It's hard. So all of this goes into this, just, just just reminding you, at this point, all of this is work you're doing between you and Jesus and you and that person. It's not your friend. It's not your buddy. It's not your neighbor. It's not your mama. It's not your daddy. It's not your brother and sister. It's not your whole family. It's not half the church. It's not your small group. It's not part of your small group. It's nobody. You are quietly... Dealing with this thing between you and Jesus with the intent of going to this person solely by themselves and addressing it. It's hard, isn't it? So, number two, if it's unsuccessful, then and only then does the circle of inclusion get wider, okay? And this is a big moment. You should be very hesitant in this moment. If your heart's right, you're going to be like, ah, I I think I'm going to have to. I'm just going to have to because this is not getting resolved. I'm going to have to include somebody else. I don't want to because it makes it messy, but I'm going to. I'm going to have to. I don't have a choice because I want reconciliation. I want to have this thing cleared up, so I'm going to include somebody else, and then you're super careful. You're like, okay, who, who do I talk to? Who do I trust? Not just to believe me. Not just to be like, oh, sweetheart, you are so right. What a dirt bag, right? That's not the person you talk to right? Who can I talk to that I can trust to be honest with me, even if I'm the one that's wrong? And if my heart is wrong, will they tell me that it's wrong? Who are those people in your life? And that's the person you talk to, and you do it carefully and slowly and thoughtfully with a lot of prayer, because you're widening the circle, right? But it's the right thing to do, okay? So some of you are sort of overly concerned about gossip. I'm going to try to define it in just a minute. And so some of you suffer in silence with these broken relationships and you won't talk to anybody about it. That's a problem too, okay? But notice the small circle is still really small. It's only two or three people, including you. So it's still not your small group. It's still not the internet, (laughs) right? It's still just a couple of people. All right. Still, this is done with a motivation to convict of sin while keeping the circle as small as possible and still get the job done, okay? And what you're doing here is you're asking someone to mediate. You're asking somebody to say, okay, I want you, even if your decision is that I'm wrong and I'm overreacting, I'll submit to it. So I'm trusting you. I'm giving you the right in my life to speak into it and to help solve this problem I'm having with this person. Relationships and conflict is a messy, disordered thing, okay, that does not follow neat, separate steps like this. I have dealt with probably hundreds of these things, either with people mad at me, people I've hurt, or some of y'all have been mad at each other. Not, I'm not liking any eye contact with anybody in particular, all right? And it's never this, like, really, except for dad. I'm making a lot of eye contact with him. Uh, It's messy. It's hard. It's not like if you're sort of an engineer type that likes phases and steps, like a project manager. Broken relationships don't work that way. It's a lot of heartache and a lot of I don't knows. Like a lot of, ah, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know if I should talk to. It's hard. I just want to give you permission to feel like it's hard and messy and unclear because that's the way people are. Like all of y'all, including myself, are messed up. And you act weird when you get hurt. And you say things you don't mean, or if maybe you do mean them and you don't say them the right way, and it gets messy and hard. Some of this stuff takes a lot of time. Some of this stuff takes like you hurt somebody. And you know you hurt them bad, and you try to reconcile, and they won't have it. And so you give it six months, and you try again. And you don't tell anybody about it. You just try again. Hey, can we talk? And they won't have it. And you give them some more time. And you, you be patient, and you listen, and you try, and you keep trying. And you don't quit trying, right? Because li- God is pleased. We're going to get to this in a minute. I'm trying not to get ahead of myself. It pleases God in unimaginable ways when we reconcile and and walk in unity together. It's that important. Okay, so I believe this teaching that Jesus is offering here, at least in this, this first little section of Matthew 18, is a prescription for keeping the community of faith from becoming divided through gossip and slander. I'm going to read as many of the scriptures that we have time for, not teach them, just read them. But how often those two things are mentioned in the Bible, it is overwhelming. It's up there with like the word love, how often it's talked about, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And Jesus and all of the apostles throughout the New Testament are very concerned. I think it's mentioned in every book in one way or the other, with the community of faith not doing things like backbiting, uh, arguing, being contentious. You know, all these kinds of words that have to do with broken, unreconciled, messed up relationships, disunity in the church. It's massively important. And Jesus is giving us a prescription for not letting that happen in the body of Christ. And I can tell you, one of the only things that could destroy this church is gossip and slander. We are called to be a family. That's what... Scott Marks has never been here before in his life, walks in the door and says, man, this just feels like family. That's what everybody says. And our eldership is healthy and strong, and our doctrine's good, and the worship is fantastic, and all these things are good and healthy. You know what the sneaky little backdoor destructive force is? It's gossip and slander. And it's not just us, it's every church. It's Dangerous stuff. So what is gossip and what is slander? This are the two categories we get throughout the Bible. Slander's easy. That's just sharing false information. It's just lying about somebody. Telling somebody, "Well, you know what I heard is this, and you know it's not true. You're making up stuff to destroy somebody. That is politics in America. It's just nothing but slander. Slinging slander back and forth. My slander's, you know, bigger than yours. just tossing it back and forth all over the internet and the ads and the television and everything else. So that's slander. That's false information. Gossip is more slippery. I would say gossip is sharing information that should be private. Whether it's, The assumption is with gossip that it's actually true. That Christianity Today article actually said gossip, it's okay to share things if it's true. I'm like... Read your Bible. Like, it's so, it drives me crazy, right? You don't have to bend the screen. Anyway, I'm not going to go off. That's a rabbit trail. Later, all right? Over lunch, we can rant about Christianity today, all right? Which I love the magazine, but anyway. So it's expanding the circle of offense or in circle of inclusion wider than is absolutely necessary to reconcile. Okay, that's gossip. It's, it's saying, it's skipping step one, first of all, and then everybody you talk to, maybe you pretend like you just want their advice and their help, but really what you're doing is you're talking to people that aren't ever going to be an active participant in bringing reconciliation. They're just being a listening ear and a shoulder to cry on. That is gossip, no matter what veneer you put on it of spirituality. If you're sharing your offense with someone that you don't intend to be a part of, the reconciliation effort, then you're gossiping. And you know this. You know if your heart's right or wrong in that department, as if when that person you share with says, well, have you, have you talked to them yet? Like, what's happened so far in your relationship with that person? Have you talked to them? Did they know you're upset? Like, what's the situation? And you get irritated. And you say something like, like I, just want, I don't want you to try to fix it right now. I just want you to listen. It's like, well, I'll listen for a minute. <laughs> I will be sympathetic, but at some point, I'm going to be saying, like, have you talked to them? How could, what, I'll go with you to talk to them. And I, we'll sit down with them, and we will work this out, and we will forgive each other, and we will repent to each other, and we will reconcile because we're Christians, and that's what Christians do, right? If that question irritates you, then your heart's wrong. It's it's really hard to come up with a perfect and simple definition of gossip. Gossip is true information as opposed to slander. Slander is like sort of obviously wrong. <laughs> like you're just making stuff up. And if you've ever been slandered before, I feel like it happens in high school. It's like what high school is about is slander. Um, it's like you learn about, you know, some history, some math, some science, and a lot about slander, right? But we tend to kind of, most of us outgrow that, and we we think, well, slander is really bad, but gossip's not so bad. Gossip is Passing on an offense in the same way that a virus spreads infection. And once a satisfactory host has been found for the new infection, the offense is then revisited over and over in conversation as bitterness festers in the souls of both people. You know what's awful about it? Is if that offense has been spread to you, but you weren't involved in it, what are you supposed to do with that offense? Like if I'm offended for you at someone else, I can't reconcile with them. They didn't do anything to me. And now you've put me in this horrible position of walking around with this offense at somebody that I maybe have never even talked to before, with this bad opinion about them, and there's no way for me to talk to them and follow Matthew 18. i got to just sit here and try to just get rid of it and offload this offense in my soul. You see how it's how gross it is, and you can see how if the person you spread the offense to that got infected with your virus. If they embrace it like you are, now they can go and they can share it with somebody else. And they can share it with somebody. You can see how churches get destroyed. You have like ten people offended at somebody and it's all a secondary offense. And there's one person, this is how the Hatfields and the McCoys got going. Right? You have generations. We have generations of of church groups of different persuasions who are mad at each other, and they they can't even remember why. This is how that happens. It's just very simple high school, middle school gossip and slander. So if you think, I love this, and maybe it's because the viruses are like kind of a trigger word for us now, but I love this idea that if I think of my offense at someone or my judgment against them as a virus, and I want to contain it, I want to contain it and make it as small as possible. We learned to think this way with coronavirus, didn't we? Well, I came and we do these like circles, right? Remember that? So long ago. And you're like, well, so-and-so was in contact with this person who was in contact, might have been in contact with somebody that had COVID. So I'm going to be careful, even though I probably don't have it, but I'm going to just be careful to like isolate myself for a couple of weeks because I don't want to spread the infection just in case I have it. The kind of care we put into coronavirus, we should be putting twice as much into the idea of offense and gossip. Because let me tell you, gossip and slander are 10 times more deadly and devastating than coronavirus ever was. I'm not exaggerating. So, why don't we put that much care and attention into what we use our mouths to do in spreading the infection of our offense and judgment against other people? It's absolutely devastating. So, we've all gossiped without thinking, everybody in this room. I can say that with confidence. We're all on the same boat. It's so easy to do because in your heart, and your mind, you sort of get this feeling of I'm a victim. And if I'm a victim, I'm justified in doing whatever I want to that person. That person, like any rules I would normally have about how I treat other people as a believer are thrown out the window because they did me wrong. And you begin to build a case in your head, don't you? Because you rehearse it. You think about it you lay there in bed at night staring at the ceiling i cannot believe he said that to me can't believe it he must really hate me is he even saved i mean what kind of person and you just build your case like a, a little lawyer evil lawyer inside is going yes yes
1: <sighs> evil he is
0: right and, Wicked, wicked, right? And this evil lawyer in your head telling you how horrible this person is. And once they're demonized to you, you can say whatever you want. You can go around warning your brother hey, man, watch out for that guy. He'll stab you in the back. You know how often my wife has people tell her, as a businesswoman, don't do business with this person and that person because they're bad news? It's gross. Just sling and gossip and it might even be true but why does the person who tells you the bad news about the other person smile and look gleeful and look gleeful and happy? <laughs> what is with that? You know how evil that is? Guess what I heard That person is horrible I get to tell you and you don't even know why does it make us happy? Because we have evil little hearts that love To share bad information. So, a healthy Christian will become immediately convicted once you realize your sin. Okay, this is the thing. If you're walking with Christ and someone says to you, Hey, have you, you you just told me about how you're angry or offended by this or that. Have you, maybe, have you talked to them? And instead of getting irritated and angry, you go, Oh, man. I just should not opened my mouth, should I? And you feel this like conviction, like you have poisoned a well and all you want to do is unpoison it because you love the church. Because Jesus loves his church and you love Jesus and he's in your heart and the Holy Spirit is grieving because you've sown, you which went through your viral particles, you sneezed all over his bride. You and your virus, you just sneezed all over her and walked on, and you feel awful. That is the Holy Spirit convicting you. The Bible has a category for a kind of person, and I'm going to read these verses in a minute. It describes them as gossips or tale-bearers, and my favorite is whisperers. Isn't that a great description? Guess what I... Can I just talk to you for a minute? Just whisperers tailbearer Tail tailbearer is that's a slanderer. That's someone who tells tales that may or may not be true about other people at the dinner party or whatever it is. A gossip will share bad news or a personal offense against someone else and will resist any attempt from you to become an active participant in the reconciliation. Next week I'll talk about how to how to, how to respond in these moments. Um, and, and, and one of the first ones is to recognize the minute somebody tells you something about how they're offended about something. You are now, whether you wanted to be or not, you are now an active participant in their reconciliation. You just got volunteered. This is what you sign up for when you become a Christian. They don't tell you this information when you, when you sign up. Well, what you don't know is you are immediately like a, a part of a giant jury of your peers. And any time someone says something, I'm mad at so-and-so because they blank and blank and blank, you are now on the jury. You're not a passive participant anymore. You must become a part of their reconciliation. Or else you are hearing gossip and doing nothing about it. You are entertaining gossip and actually furthering the problem, not making it better. That includes just going, well... I'll, well, let's pray about it, and then never talking to them again. See, the body of Christ and the unity of it is a big, big deal. A gossip, someone who would be more than just like someone who gossiped and felt and was convicted. I'm talking about someone who makes a habit of it. They want you to remain a passive listening ear and a shoulder to cry on and will act hurt, misunderstood or, even, misunderstood or even angry when you try to talk to them in a way that leads towards reconciliation with the person they're offended by. And that's how you know if it's gossip or not. Okay? What I find is many people refuse to confront a problem in a relationship while at the same time feeling free to talk to everyone else about it. And that's awful. Don't be one of those people that does that or entertains it, right? The only way to reconcile a broken relationship is for the two people involved to repent and forgive. We'll talk about that next week, but you need to see that that is the only way out. Just you talking about it with someone involved will never solve it. Ever, 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 ever. It will make you feel better and more justified in your offense, but it will not ever solve it. It will just get worse. The only way out is forgiveness and reconciliation. That's it. And the only way to do that is for you to be eyeball to eyeball with the person you're offended with. Not eyeball to eyeball with somebody you're not offended with. We long for others to judge us by our best intentions on our best day, right? I want all of you to think of me in the best possible light, based on my best intentions, at my best moment. While at the same time we want our friends to confirm our judgments against others based on their worst moments, all while assuming the worst possible intentions of their heart, we act like perception is reality. How I perceive what you do or say is the truth. And I can't be wrong because there's no other way to see it. I have rehearsed it a hundred times in my head, and the jury that I constructed in my head has passed judgment to me and confirmed that I am I'm right, that you are an evil, wicked person, and you hate people. At least you hate me. The only way to resolve this is to talk to each other. I find actually quite often, most of the time, when two people who are mad at each other talk to each other like grown-ups, it just, the Holy Spirit shows up, and it just dissipates like vapor. It's only when somebody is not being humble that that doesn't happen. It's one of the most beautiful things I get to witness as a pastor over and over and over again, is when people come humbly to each other and say, hey, I'm really hurt by you. And the person goes, oh, What? really? I had no idea. I don't want you to feel that way. I love you. I care about you. I'm really into you. I think you're great, and I'm glad you're in my life. And the person goes, really? You actually care about me? I thought you were like a (laughs) supervillain. Sitting with, like you had an eye patch, you were sitting on a big metal throne of some sort, just thinking about how much you hate me all day long every day, like no, I haven't thought about you in years. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and it's amazing how the Holy Spirit comes and just softens the whole thing, and it just you realize all this thing that felt like a brick wall between you is just thin air. It's just a mist, and it was just it just vaporizes when you do what Jesus says to do. It actually works. It actually works. It's amazing. A question I get a lot is about marriage, and then I'm going to read some scriptures. It's really common, I think, in a marriage that's struggling. For, for some reason, it's never the husband that wants to talk me about their marriage. It's always the wife. I don't know why that is. Not a particularly positive commentary on the men, but this is how it usually goes, right? And the wife has been suffering in silence. They're struggling with something they can't resolve. And finally, she, in, in desperation, comes and talks to me. Or usually it's Heather and then me. That's usually how that goes down, if we're honest. And says, I don't want to gossip about my husband. But we're struggling, and we've been struggling with this for sometimes years. And she feels bad for saying something. It's like, no, 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 you're just, you're just going to phase two. I'm sure you have confronted him with this privately, probably somewhat intensely. And now you're just moving to phase two. What I usually say is, tell him you're going to come get marriage counseling with or without him. Offer him the opportunity to come. If he won't come, that's fine. We'll still. You just have to tell him you're doing it, and it's not gossip. Okay? You just got to. You're widening the circle appropriately. Because you haven't gotten a resolution, you let just as a courtesy, you're letting him know, hey, I'm gonna, if you want to come talk about yourself and share your side, that would be beneficial, right? It's the offer you can't refuse, right? That's not wrong. Okay, that's my point. All right, so Jesus goes on in Matthew 18, 18 to 20. He says, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. In verse 19, the word anything I think could be better translated as a judicial matter. He's talking about a, a complex judicial issue. And interestingly enough, the whole two or three witnesses thing was Jewish law at the time. In their public courts, you had to come and bring your Charge with two or three people to corroborate us where that comes from. So, in this, he says, So, verse 19, where is it? It says, Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about a judicial matter, they ask it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So, he's talking about this conflict between these two or three people. He says, This. So this whole, this whole promise from Jesus about anything binding and loosing and anything you ask is tied not to just whatever, it's tied to these two people coming together in unity who once were apart. They've, been, they've reconciled as the church should. And Jesus says, when you do that, there's this authority that comes from heaven that is beyond your imagination. It blows my mind. So the question I've been pondering is, who are these two or three he's talking about agreeing here? I think there's a strong case to be made that the folks agreeing together are the same folks that were part of the reconciliation attempts. That puts a whole different angle on this promise, doesn't it? It's not just like whatever I pray, God's going to do. It's deeper than that. It's that when I reconcile, It brings a blessing from heaven on not just my life, but the whole body of Christ with an authority that's like using the name of Jesus to do things. And the implication is, is when I am unwilling to reconcile with people and walk in brokenness and don't take gossip and slander seriously and won't forgive, there is a withholding of this blessing and authority from heaven. I think that's true. So when the people who have been torn apart by sin find unity together through the repentance and forgiveness, the unity of the body of Christ is preserved and God gives them tremendous authority and fruitfulness in what they're called to do. This reminded me of Psalm 133, 1-3. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head Running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. And here it is for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So it's not just gross when we gossip and slander, it's also beautiful when we don't. It's beautiful when we act like a family. You can see David, the psalmist, struggling to find words to describe how beautiful it is. That feeling when you walk in the door and it feels like family honors Christ in ways that almost nothing else can. So I want to read some scriptures I put in your notes. I don't have much time. I'll hit I'll I'll, I'll hit the heavy ones. All right, and then and then you can read the rest later. All right. These won't be on the screen. I'm just going to go through them fast. Romans 1, 29 to 32. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Look at the auspicious list that gossip and slander and disobedience to parents is put in. Psalm 15, 1 to 4. O oh Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Proverbs 6, 16 to 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, hates, This is God's short list of things he hates. We should pay attention. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, slander, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs eleven thirteen: Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Covered. Proverbs seventeen four: An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Proverbs seventeen nine: Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs twenty nineteen: Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate with a simple babbler. Proverbs twenty-one, twenty-three: whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Amen. Proverbs 25, 9, argue your case with your neighbor himself and do not reveal another secret. That's the whole sermon in one verse. Proverbs 26, 20 to 23, for lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body, like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. I'll just do one. One more in the New Testament. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And that points us to next week. Let's pray. I want to start. Why don't we stand up if you're in the room with me. I would just encourage you, if this is a problem for you right now or in general, spend time this week rehearsing those scriptures to yourself. I wilt when I read those scriptures. It just melts me. And I start thinking about what am I doing with my tongue? What am I saying? Am I assassinating people's character when I talk? What am I doing with this? It's powerful. James 3, James 1. So I want to encourage you to do that. But I want to pray now. I don't think there's anybody who's exempt from this problem. Certainly not this temptation. So I want to pray and first let's just repent. Right? So whatever kind of weight you're feeling, oh, I've just sowed some seeds, I've spread some viruses, that God will, like you release that conv- the conviction that God, you'll just ask God to forgive you, ask him to cleanse you, and give you an opportunity to reconcile and, and rid the universe of the virus you spread by speaking blessing over that person, by asking forgiveness from those people, that sort of thing. Okay, so I want to, let's start there. God, we just, all of us here, God, I pray that just as we're thinking of maybe specific things, specific people, maybe very old offenses, God, would you forgive us? Forgive us for our gossip. Forgive us for opening the circle too wide from the very beginning. God, I pray that your spirit would be like a clamp on our tongue. God, I pray that you'd teach us to be people that cover in love and don't expose, that don't say things more publicly than they should be. Lord, would you forgive us? God, forgive us for the passive-aggressive things we type on the internet. Forgive us for the things we say in public that should have been in secret. God, forgive us for the judgments in our hearts against other people. God, where we felt justified because we've been victimized in some way, God, that we feel justified to just say and to assassinate with our words. God, would you forgive us? Holy Spirit, cleanse us. Cleanse our minds, cleanse our hearts and our mouths. And Lord, I pray that as we begin to think about reconciliation, forgiveness, repentance, Lord, I pray for supernatural, miraculous reconciliations to happen in families and amongst friends, not just in Living Hope Church, but in the body of Christ. God, that we would be truly unified, that the blessing you promise to command over us would come because we have been unified. We have chosen reconciliation and forgiveness over bitterness and gossip. God, help us. These things are hard. It is messy and difficult and so much water goes under the bridge that we feel like there's no way back. But God, I pray that you would point the way in your scripture and that we would see the Holy Spirit just dissipate the offense miraculously. Lord, would you do this in us? God, we yearn for it. God, I especially pray for children that are estranged from their parents. It's just on my heart. And so, God, I just pray Specifically pray for that. God, grown children, they're just estranged. God, I pray that you would draw them back in, that you would do this work, this miraculous work between them. God, I just pray for anyone out there in the world. This church has been around a long time. God, pray for anyone out there that's mad at us, maybe has been for years. I don't know. Just assume they are. (laughs) There's got to be people out there. God, this church has been around a long time. so God, I just pray for reconciliation. Not just an easing of tension, but God, a true reconciliation that you would even send um, people back around supernaturally to reconcile. God, help us to be people that are peacemakers when so many are the opposite in the world. Just pray your blessing on those relationships in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Happy Independence Day. Go enjoy hot dogs and whatever other redneck activities you have planned. All right. See you next week.